there's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast. I'm Mr. Konga. I am not Ryan Hunt. Yes, and that's Seb Stafford Law. Yeah, he is not Ryan Hunt. So Ryan, very, very sadly, is a little bit ill, a bit poorly. He'll be back um, next episode. But in the meantime, we have the illustrious Seb Stafford Law joining us for the Stadio Podcast. Seb, thank you so much for standing in. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I was, I was weighing up whether to, to play like a, a Ryan-like character or just to be myself. I don't know. I, I think we'll, we'll evolve as the episode goes on and, and see where it takes us. We did. We brought you in as yourself. You don't need to be Ryan because firstly, is there a I don't need to be Ryan. But, okay, but, fine. So are you. So are you. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I, for my sins, I'm fine. I've got a bit of a drama to report. I found out uh, two days ago that I, in fact, have been drinking decaffeinated coffee for the last year before podcasts. Went down to the local organic supermarket and they said, no, that's actually decaf, which explains some of my lackluster performances. So much. But I'm now caffeinated. Got the actual caffeine right now. So we charged up this podcast. I feel like on behalf of listeners, I should be worried about what's in our future. Because <laughs> you, you, you kind of, your personality has a natural caffeine. Like when good things happen to you. Oh, you know, thank like, you. You know, sort of, I, I suppose, you know, my, podcast etiquette is that you know when you ask oh how are you oh yeah yeah i'm fine uh, of all the people i know you're <laughs> the one that says i'm fine and here's why i'm fine here's why listen always kind of... specifics i like specifics because uh, i can waffle things are going anyway. well yeah things are good but more importantly more importantly because it's not about me um just some quick updates uh since we're not here a little bit of admin stadio.football is the website check us out there we've got a new piece by jonathan harding about jürgen klopp Choosing happiness. Not that he's not happy at Liverpool, of course he is, but choosing, you know, the holistic approach to life. So that's a great piece by Jonathan. Thanks for that. But a great book called Soul about finding greater emphasis beyond what's happening merely on the pitch as an athlete. So that's great to check out. Wonderful writer, Jonathan Harding. Wonderful writer. So please check him out. Um, other, ad- other admin Stadio Outros playlist on Spotify. So every single time Stadio plays out, there's a great tune at the end and the list is growing. It's wonderful. Great playlist that for company work and leisure. We're going to talk about Bochum, Bayern in the Bundesliga, BBB. And then we're going to get into some Premier League because that was also fairly interesting. But Seb, we're going to jump straight in in the first half. The Bundesliga, we have to talk about Bochum 3, Bayern Munich 2. How are you feeling about it? Still haven't fully digested it, actually. It's wild. Isn't I remember it? having no. It's, it's it's a hard one. I remember having a conversation with someone after the Lazio game and mm. saying, "There's no way they lose to Bochum, right? Because regardless of what a what a team thinks of their coach or what difficulties there are, there's a especially if you play for a Bayern Munich, there's a there's a professional pride 
that mm. kind of energizes you in, in the wake of a, a chastening defeat. And that never happened. And, and the thing that I think I took away from it was that problems that Bayern have had all season, right. going all the way really back to probably the Super Cup, when they got transitioned to death by RB Leipzig. Yeah. They're still there. They like are. they're still, when they lose the ball, they're, they're so vulnerable. It doesn't seem to matter who plays in midfield or who plays in defense or who's in goal. Right. Like the vulnerability is still there and the space is still there. And, and, and it's one thing to have Leipzig breaking away from you, maybe Dortmund in a different era, possibly Leverkusen now, I suppose. Bochum. Yeah. Seb, there was, was a moment, there was a moment, uh, Bochum's, um, First goal, when yeah. Kimmich loses a 50-50, and I thought, that this, doesn't, this doesn't happen. This doesn't happen with Pete Kimmich. It doesn't happen Pete Bayern. You know, there's, look, there's tactical things we can get into. We can look at the configuration they set up where I don't like Thomas Miller playing anywhere but behind the striker. Mm-hmm. And I was confused to see Chupo Moteng playing off Kane. I was very confused to see that because I feel like even the Sané is not scoring. You have him in wide areas. You have him in Missyal either side of Miller. That's maybe the best configuration. So I think tactically, maybe Tuchel had a misstep. But I think, I think tactically he's a bit anxious, just judging by the selection against Leverkusen. But all that being said, Bochum, we know Bochum give Bayern a hard time at home. We've seen them do this. It's such a strange thing. They have this like weird thing when they get hammered in Bayern, yeah. but actually they're a tough proposition in the Bundesliga for them. So we knew they were going to offer maybe some kind of difficulty, but the striking thing here was it's that midfield area. And we've seen they've got Pavlovich there. Goretzka's been a step slow. I, I don't know if it's a sluggishness. I don't know if they're slightly stale because they've won 11 straight and maybe mental fatigue is an issue. I don't know what it is with Bayern, but this feels like a, a collection of players. Not, I'm not saying they're selfish. A collection of players, of players trying to find chemistry against let's also be honest, a Leverkusen team playing the best football in Europe. Yeah. No, that, that, so let's also let's say that Leverkusen are historically brilliant. They've been unbeaten for almost a year. They're lights out, outstanding, and they're still only eight points ahead. So Bayern aren't horrific. They're just subpar. They're extremely subpar, I think. They're not quite as bad as they look, but they aren't good. If that makes sense. Can I venture a theory about yeah, that sure. midfield? Yeah. I'm gonna, gonna soft launch it here live on a podcast. So if you think of all the different combinations mm. that are available to Thomas Tuchel, there's something wrong with all of them. And some of those are just issues which have to be overcome. Some of them are self-created. So yeah. Kimmich started the season by having a kind of weird passive aggressive argument with his coach through the media about whether he could play as a number six. Kind yes. Of bizarre. Mm. So you immediately create a doubt in the team. So if you're Leon Goretzka and you're playing as the eight with Kimmich, mm. you're playing in a system which your manager doesn't think should work. Right. Then, so elsewhere, you bring in a, a new player to play that role. So Connie Lima, for instance. Connie Lima is an excellent player. I, I think he's one of the most underrated players in Germany and has been for quite a long time. Um, okay, but. He has no natural chemistry with either Goretzka or Kimmich or Guerrero, if you want to use him in there, or Pavlovich. Like, everywhere you go here, there's a problem. Yes. Uh, and the result, regardless of those problems being different, 
the result is a lack of chemistry, lack of trust, right at the heart of a team which has some problems in defense. We know this. Right. Is also rejuggling a few like attacking pieces. So Serge Gnabry, his form has, I don't know what, ha- what happened to him 18 months ago, but went from being this guy who you think you should be playing, you are, you know, a, 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 a imperative to what this Bayern Munich and Germany right. team are going to be doing over the next couple of years. Um, so you're rebuilding all of these different pieces with a center that doesn't make sense. Like it, it, does, it reminds me, it, of, the, it it reminds me of the Chelsea problem, you know, with Kovacic and yeah. you had yeah. Kovacic would break the press, but then you had Kanten decline. And then you had these other issues where you, like Lime, even Lima is a good example. You lose match control with Lima. Like Lima's mm. brilliant at breaking up, but not so much uh, the control element's not there. And you're right. There's just so many ill-fitting pieces. And if you look at what they've added, they've added um, Kim there, Delitz come in, Dyer to, I mean, just latterly. Apamakano's form, it's never really going to happen to him. I think he's an unlucky footballer. This is, look, he's a very good footballer. And there's also like, I don't know, I just think he, there's, he seems cursed. Like he got that, you know, the, the, the second yellow. And I, I think it was a second yellow. I think it was sending off. Oh, I don't agree. I, I, I was talking to Ryan, mm. our, our kind of, you know, very pale version of Ryan before we started recording. Mm. And I thought it was just one of those. I, I, I felt like, I felt so sorry for him. I, maybe it's my kind of, this is what it is. I was like, for a yeah, situation. Yeah. It is. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Because yeah. I saw it and I thought, just like the Lazio red, I thought, ah, oh, gutted. But yeah, it's, it's a sending off. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm sorry it's happening to you. The thing that's concerning for him is not just the two straight reds. It's also this guy got like, only lasted an hour in the game before that. And the, the sacking of Nagelsmann, I know I keep talking about it in this podcast and you're bored to hear about it from me again. And I'm sure Ryan is bored to hear about it too. But the sacking of Julian Nagelsmann, you talk about an, a spectacular unforced error. You're trying to make a transition to the next phase of Bayern. I just think it was, I think it was a disaster. And they sacked the wrong people in that club. It's like, now you live in Germany, so you can relate to this. It's mm. like, you're on a train at a station mm. and it's slowing down or it's stopped and you take the gamble to get off and take another train, but ah. actually that train's worse. There it is. That's exactly, That's the do- they- Take that Deutsche Bahn. Do you know- <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. And then like everyone's scrambling around looking for a scapegoat. So they sacked the most junior official at the, uh, at the station and they yeah. should have sacked the station yeah. master. Like really, I think yeah. <laughs> You look at the Spock and Bayern game, just in terms of the game as well. So Musiala uh, putting them ahead, taking the lead. This is the thing. I want to talk about this very quickly as well. There's a pattern here. And Harry Kane missed a couple of chances that he should have scored on, you know, given his quality. Yeah. But here's the thing about Bayern that concerns me too with the attack. Musiala and Kane bailing out this team repeatedly. There was a thing that happened to Bayern and it was a problem. You talk about the midfield just to sort of round this point in. You talk about the Bayern midfield having a problem. I remember watching them under great pressure against RB Leipzig, I think a year and a half ago, when RB Leipzig had them under the cough. We were really attacking the match control, going down the middle. And the only thing that really saved them was Musiala being thrown at that RB Leipzig press and it broke them down. And I just feel like Bayern have a couple of Hail Mary players, Jamal Musiala and Harry Kane. If one or two of those don't deliver, they're done. And their league position is artificially inflated because those two players are so good. And yep. You look at this first goal, Musiala, great finish, crashes at top corner, like, you know, Yusuf Makoko style. And then this through ball from Musiala in the first half. 
that Kane doesn't finish. Now, it's easy to come back to that. Should have been 2-0. But then there's a thing that happens. The protest uh, breaks the game up. And after that, Bochum have time to regroup. And I think the game changes then. I think that Bochum have a moment to sit back. Should be 2-0. And they go at Bayern with, I would say, a sustained disrespect. And I don't know how you saw it, but it felt like the momentum of the game shifted where Bayern, I think, thought they were cruising, were a goal up, should have got a second. The second goal's coming. And when you give another team a look in against Bayern, they don't really have the tools to get themselves out of jail. They don't have enough match winners apart from those two, I would say. Yeah, it's really interesting you bring this up because to me, it represents Bayern's movement towards more of a kind of Dortmund situation. Oh, okay. Which, so, you know, yeah, the, the players at Bayern are better, but it's the same dependency, isn't it? Right. Like if, you, if the same little group of individual players aren't, um, if they're not performing, if they're not right. kind of delivering the kind of the heavy punches, which damage a team like Bochum, then you've got an issue. Mm. Um, and I think if you're a Bochum player and you, you see Kane miss that chance, then what is there to fear? You, you know where the soft, spot, the soft spots are in this team because the media never talks about anything else, right? right yeah, you yeah. turn on German television any time of the day on the sports channels, we're talking about uh, no holding six. We are wondering out loud about Ukmekanik, which by the way, I feel, I think a lot of the sympathy for him comes from the fact that he's not, I'm kind of uneasy with how he's treated by the German media. Oh, that's interesting. Um, because if you look at sort of the constitution of the Bayern defence, you've got a lot of proactive protagonist defenders, mm. you know, players who, there's no stopper there. Maybe Eric Dyer in a way, but it's still, sorry, Eric Dyer. Mm. Um, good guy, not a, you know, a world-class player. Um, and so you have this kind of this swirl of defensive elements, which is only ever going to result in, in chaos. Mm. And Ibn is the one that's always sort of pointed out as kind of, and made the figure of fun, which I think is... Interesting. It's kind of difficult to watch at times. Difficult um, to watch and interesting and unfair. I think you're right because the accumulated Fundamentally, pressure, he's a good player, Mace. He's a pressure he's, point. He's, he's a pressure point, though, in that defence. Yeah. In the same way that Dejan Lovren was, when, when Liverpool tried to play a certain style, yes. that really high line in the early, um, in the early uh, years of Klopp, in the early months of Klopp, there was a lot of pressure on Lovren to do certain things with the ball because Klopp didn't have the goalkeeper he wanted and the configuration he wanted. So it went through Lovren. So Lovren was left with responsibility that was unfair, um, I think. And I think Klopp knew that, which is why he never went after his player. And the Palacano, you know, all those moving parts. Kim just came in. Dyer's there. Delict is there. He's probably the qu- he's by far the quickest of those lots. So he's having to do the most legwork. But in terms of Bochum, just to give them their due, so um, Asano scoring a really lovely um, equaliser for them. Really nice finish. Schlotterbeck, really nice Schlotter, and then earning the, earning the um, corner uh, for the, uh, the set piece that Schlotterbeck given the lead from, who was excellent throughout Schlotterbeck, almost got, I think, a third in the second half. And then Stug with a penalty late on um, for Apamakano's second yellow. Kane pulling it back. Tell came on and Tell looked brilliant. I mean, yes, I, know, I know it was yes, tiring legs, but Tell looked very, very good out wide. No, um, he looked lethal. In the, in the left side spot. And Bayern cut it back. And can I just say to Bochum as well, the way they managed the last half hour of this game, I thought was absolutely superb. There were moments when they ran out to the wings, didn't waste the counter-attack. Like, we can contrast that with Chelsea, actually, in the next, the next part of this podcast. Chelsea, I thought, managed 
the last half hour of the game really poorly. I thought yeah, Chelsea I should have won that game. I was concerned with some of the substitutions inviting pressure. I don't know why Cole Palmer went off, but we'll get into that in a sec. But by contrast, Bochum, I thought every decision they made from the coaching staff to the players on the field in that last half hour was absolutely exemplary. I just thought you're closing out a game against a frantic, desperate team trying to claw back some advantage on Leverkusen, which they didn't deserve uh, given their performance by him. I thought Bochum in the last half hour were just, I thought were brilliant. It, was, it struck me, and, and actually, it's something that you should see more often in this kind of game, but you don't. There's really nice defensive energy to Bochum. Real uh, energy is the wrong word. Maybe, maybe enthusiasm, appetite. Mm. It's a team that really enjoyed being in that spot. Like, they did, didn't they? Yeah, the no, mechanics yeah. Were, yeah, they seemed to really relish it. And actually, you know, there, there, are, some, there are some teams and some fans who it's their worst nightmare. Mm. You're, you've, you've built a lead and you've put yourself in a situation where you might become a bit of a punchline. And as a result, you're, you're kind of, your entire house of cards just collapses in on itself. Yes. And how, goodness me, I'm a Tottenham fan. I, I've seen it enough times. <laughs> Um, I know the feeling, the blood running cold, you know, doubling over and shame. That I know it all. Um, but I, I thought the kind of the appetite for the individual battles was great. I also, um, there was a really pleasing. You've touched on it, but a really pleasing um, dispassionate element, which was just the structure of the counter. Yes, and the kind of the uh, they were faithful to their system rather than just saying, right, we're going to collapse behind the ball and hope for the best and hope like you know the shots hit our faces and stay out of the goal and and that's that's probably i imagine if you're a professional player one of the hardest things to do when you enter that kind of um kind of resilient mode yes must be very very difficult to stay faithful to, oh to broshinsky there's a bit broshinsky gets the ball i think about 10 minutes to the end uh of normal yeah, time yeah, yeah. and he's out and you know so many situations we see a striker go through and choose a the worst possible option or B, the next word, which is to hammer it from distance, and then Neuer starts the yeah. counter. And he just gets the ball and takes that to the left flank and waits and waits. Not even to the corner flag, but keeps it in field. So supremely confident in that sense. And just like regulates the ball. And then you've got... Um, Can you imagine how hard that is, Moose? Dude, uh, dude this, is, this is... Uh, it blew my mind. It blew my you, mind. In, 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 a, in a bare pit of the ground, right? Right. And Bochum's a big place, but it's not a big ground. Right. Um, it's a big city. Um, and... How easy it must be just to get carried away with the momentum of that moment where you're breaking away. It's Bayern Munich. If you if you're the one that puts the dagger in, you're the one on the headline later. You're you know you're across social media, and if there you're not a very well recognised, well known player, mm. it, if that's me, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm heading straight for Neuer. <laughs> <laughs> have to have yeah, to of course, right of because it's your moment. But to have the maturity to understand what the team needs in that situation. That is very, very impressive. Yeah, I'll say that. And also, I've got to say, look, also, um, Antwi Ajay, who I'll call from now on Ajay 3000, who's outstanding. <laughs> outstanding. <laughs> I had to. Brilliant on the left wing. And just the maturity of the attacking. There were no, you know, you see so often in these situations, overhit crosses, um, adrenaline mm. rushes, none of that. Bochum just, and I, we have to say this because the story is going to be buying, but you know, Ryan and I always like to give credit on this podcast to the teams that win as opposed to the teams that are supposedly throwing it away. Yeah. Look, Bochum are very, very good. And on a different day, Bayern get a draw against the lesser team, against him not playing so well, Bayern emerge with a three all. But Bochum absolutely brought it. I've got to give them their props for that. So outstanding win for them. Leverkusen beat Heidenheim 
two one away. Very good win because Heidenheim, you know, they're an obdurate team. They're a tough team to, to beat. Have not lost since October. Man, that team. Honestly, I, I remember watching uh, Heidenheim first when they um, they lost in the the relegation playoff. I think to Werder, and their problem was goals, and they fixed that problem. But even then, just the organisation, the coaching, the class. You know, um, uh, Granite Chaka talked about a huge step forward this win. You know, it's always the win after a big win is always the one. Yeah. And this one, to go away to Heidenheim, tough game, to go to null up, excellent performance, almost 20 shots on, on goal. I was just, you know, full of respect for this for Leverkusen. In, in its own way, just as impressive as, as the Bayern win, I thought. In many ways, kind of, Heidenheim the worst opponent for them because I... I went to meet Frank Schmidt a couple of months ago, Einheim Coach. Mm. He's, he's, a, he's a wonderful man. He's one of those kind of magnetic personalities that you, you kind of, when you meet him, you, afterwards, you sort of want him to be your uncle. <laughs> yeah, I get that. You want him to be a kind of figure in your life so yeah. that if you, you, know, you, you wanted kind of some counsel or whatever, you could go and talk to him. And he was talking about what his non-negotiables are mm. and how over, you know, he's been there for, since in the beginning of time he is he's sort of um the uh he's not necessarily the starting point because there are people at the club who've been there, there uh, you know back into the 90s as volunteers but frank schmidt is uh has taken them from as we know like from the fifth tier of german football to the bundesliga and he talks about how he's mellowed and he's got older but he still says like the work rate is the important thing mm. not necessarily uh you know, distance covered, but sprints, like proper yes. high intensity work. And so for Leverkusen, who prior to that Bayern game also had the Pokal game against Stuttgart, yes. which Chevy Alonso yep. named a pretty much a full, full starting 11 for that, what you would expect to find in a, you know, in, in a Bundesliga game. And then to go there, which is a, a really difficult place to go highest point in the Bundesliga, it's almost at altitude. It's so high. Mm. My wife and I walked up that hill and, oh and she still talks about it. <laughs> uh, it was really impressive. And in its own way, every bit as impressive as the win over Bayern. Um, different set of qualities. But it was, um, it was the moment where I thought, it, before obviously Bayern lost, where I thought, that's a serious examination. On the table. Like serious examination. Yeah, 100%. On this, so, you know, Frank Schmidt obviously is sitting pretty at Heidenheim and Chabulonso is doing working magic at Leverkusen. But we have to talk about Tuchel and what this means now mm. for him in the wake of his defeat. What's the position for him, do you think? How is this going to play out? Well, I, I think I'd, I'd be more comfortable answering after the second leg of that Lazio game. Okay. I think if they go out, it's over. Mm. I, I just don't. I don't think Bayern are built to cope with that kind of failure. But at the same time, he's... If you were to create a list of issues is at Bayern Munich, this is it. it, it Thomas Tuchel's just not on top of it. No, he's not. And I think you, he's baffled and, by the dysfunction, actually. Yeah. Well, because it's not what you sign up for, is it? If you, if, if you become Bayern Munich head coach, and also if you, your last job in football was to be a uh, Chelsea head coach during a period of ownership change, mm. you think, I'm going to go to Bayern Munich and... and Yes, there's going to be uh, a, an outrageous level of media scrutiny because, mm. as you know, like in Germany, there is nothing else. It right. is just Bayern Munich. And, and if you were to go onto any um, online media source this morning, I'm sure, you know, nine of 10 stories would be about Bayern and Tuchel's future. However, like you have a sort of 
you kind of know where you stand despite the politics that come from above and, and sort of all the kind of machinations around you. Um, and what he's found is fluidity through his side, um, some of which is his own doing, and a lot of change above and around him. Mm. Like, I still don't really know, for instance, what his agency is with recruitment versus, you know, Mr. Freund's role, mm. for instance. I don't, you know, how, how, does, how does that mechanic work? Because one didn't appoint the other, which is the usual um, sporting director dynamic. Mm. And who's taking responsibility for this team now? And then who's driving its renovation in the summer or work I, I imagine that is already going on right now. And, and, and things like little silly things like, so Sasha Boy comes in, in in January, perfectly good fullback. And one of his first tasks is to be put on the wrong side Dude, against, don't get me started. I think the most, what must be one of the hardest teams to defend against in all of Europe. Yeah. Like, what are yeah. you doing? Yeah. What are you doing to him? That's not fair. I just think the Tuchel thing, and I, look, I don't think Tuchel should be sacked um, at no. this point. I don't think he should be sacked if they lose to Lazio. I just think that for pragmatic reasons, as well as, you know, wider tactical ones, there is not, there are not a huge number of coaches that can come in at any point and replace Tuchel and do a good job with this configuration of Bayern. I think that it has gone a bit stale. I think that having to win year in, year out is mentally exhausting. I think it's, I think it's probably boring for some of the players, to be honest, because there's never really credit. You win again, you win the league again. No one's going to be like, oh, wow, you did it again. Like, it's all a bit jaded. I just wonder if there are, I think a lot of changes are needed just to make it fresh for the players, to make it fun for the players. And it, Fun's not a word we see very often, but there's a joylessness to some of this from Bayern, actually. It's, it's interesting because, so if you think about last season, mm. if you were Jamal Musiala, you'd think, that's my immortality moment. Right. You've scored that, that calibre of goal to win a league, mm. right? And that's your, you're cast in bronze from that moment onwards. But within minutes, <laughs> right. okay, the story becomes, Look at Dortmund and laugh, everybody in the world. Yes. Or <clears throat> look at what Bayern have done despite winning it. And, oh, they've won despite being absolutely awful. Wouldn't you feel shortchanged as a player? Like, I, I know Bayern weren't great last season. I know that. But it's still one of those moments which in 20 years, 30 years, you look back and you don't remember the context. You just remember the quality of the individual piece of play. Right. And I reckon there might be a serious case of that going through the team just with, you know, on, on a lesser scale, perhaps. Don't get me started on my Jamal Musiala moving abroad agenda. I, this man has already played over 150 games for Bayern Munich. Yeah. And he's like, what, 20? And as brilliant as he is, there's a couple of clubs I'd love to see him at. Absolutely love. Not, 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 not immediately, don't get me wrong, because he, look, he loves, I think he's great at Bayern, I think he's brilliant, I think he's a talisman. But maybe like in two or three years, I'd love to see Jamal Musiala like one or two other places. I just think... Name those one or two other places. No, 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 because, no, because, no, because, no, because no, 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 I've, no, I've no, already no. started. No, 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 let, let me not, you know what? If Ryan was here, this is what he'd tell you to do. You don't get to sort of dangle that one or two other clubs. Favorite. Do you know what, do you know what, Seb? We have to move follow on. Follow through. It's not about me. It's not about me. Let's, you know, let's look at just, <laughs> let's keep, let's keep on mission. <laughs> I've already said too much. Quick roundup on um, the rest of the Bundesliga action. Uh, Freiburg, 
three all against Frankfurt. They equalised three times at home. Fabulous game. Wonderful game that. RB Leipzig 2-0 over Gladbach. They really needed that, but it looked quite looked quite easy in the end, actually. Uh, yeah, uh, two two terrible pieces of news from um, the Leipzig-Gladbach game. So for the match, um, uh, a Gladbach fan died um, in a car accident um, outside the stadium. And then during the game, um, a Leipzig fan fell ill and uh, yeah, they were unable to, to resuscitate him, which is just terrible, terrible news. So obviously, um, thoughts with um, the families, that's just awful news. Absolutely awful. Yeah, yeah. Wolfsburg won all against Dortmund. Uh, not the best result there for Dortmund, obviously. Hoffenheim, this is the big one. Hoffenheim nil, Union Berlin won. Two red cards in this game and Union, it was a scrappy one, but they dragged themselves a little bit closer to safety. And they're now looking not so bad. Gladbach, strange, strange season from them and they should be anxious. So yeah, that's kind of the main action. In the Bundesliga, the only thing I would mention is that Ryan and I, we would have talked about this today if Ryan wasn't ill, but we went to see Hertha against Magdeburg um, in the Zweite, as Ryan would say, the best league in the world. Hertha, it is the best league in the world. So, so just as Ryan would say. It's such, look, such a great game. Hertha beating um, Magdeburg, 10-man Magdeburg 3-2. This game had everything. Extraordinary goals, set pieces. Also had a game uh, delayed by quite a few minutes because of protest against investment in the Bundesliga. Um, the tennis ball protest has now been seen almost everywhere these days. And I thought just a tremendous game of football. Uh, but yes, yeah, so the best game in the entire league wasn't even in the first league. But that, that's Germany for you. It's, it's really hard to explain the divided Bundesliga to people outside Germany. Mm. Just kind of the, the egalitarian nature of it, which makes it sound like it's kind of... Um, you know, everybody's of equal virtue. As in reality, everybody's as capable of falling over themselves as anybody else. I mean, um, obviously, my my um, focus is mainly on the Hamburg team, mm. and no, Magdeburg beat some Pauli last week. You know, and, and deserved to. And there's always can I can I give can I give it an example? I think an analogy that people understand. It's like Freshers' Week. It's <laughs> like Freshers' Week. Everyone's a little bit too excited. It's all a bit chaotic. You still don't know what the actual, the lie of the land is. You know, there's some experienced heads in there. The second years, like, you know, lurking about, you know, the older heads, the wisdom prevailing. There's the live wires. You're not- Older heads who never seem to leave. Yeah, like, you're, yeah, exactly. They've been there eight years. There it is. They just don't graduate. There it is. It's, <laughs> it's based the student body of Freshers Week. You're working out what the alliances, dynamics are, and there's, it's all to play for. So that, that's the Swite Bundesliga. Can we, can we shout out Dapo F. Lyon for uh, score the winning goal yes. um, against Eintracht Braunschweig uh, for St. Pauli? Dapo is a really lovely guy. He's also, if you look at his career, it's been quite nomadic. He's, Dapo's been everywhere. He was at West Ham, at Bolton. He was in Canada for a while. Um, and he's really kind of found a home in Hamburg. Mm. And really important goal. But also, he's just, um, he's, he's been playing ever so well. One of... Uh, the only, I, I think St. Pauli get promoted mm. and I think, you know, that will become inevitable within a, probably a, a month or so, mm. hopefully. But one of their issues has been source of goal. Mm. Um, they, they kind of, they haven't really had a feature goal scorer probably since Guido Bergstoller left the club and went back to Austria. Um, and so they sort of have this goal scorer by committee situation, which um, Athlion is, is part of. And it's, um, yeah, coming up big when it really, really mattered. And it's nice to see 
you know, he, he always seems to have been in the wrong place at the wrong time or, you know, circumstances haven't quite allowed him to play his best football. And, and um, to see his kind of relationship with uh, Fabian Hersler and, and the teammates around him and how happy he seems to be, it's, it's a really nice thing what And, and uh, yeah. you know, maybe a Bundesliga player soon. I love that. The thing I'm concerned about teams coming up, we saw it with Paderborn even, who were volume goal scorers and they came up a couple of years mm. ago. Well, they lost them. That's a slightly unique case because they lost their two biggest goal scorers. But there is that problem. It's firepower is the main issue when teams come up. Uh, they either get sold off fast or the sophistication of Bundesliga defences is such a problem. So the approach plays great. But I just, I worry that Paddy will come up and it'll be the classic issue of great approach play but can't put teams away. So it's like, I think for them. one of the things with the Zweider Bundesliga is if you can come up with a full crew or a Kleindienst, right, yes. which Great show. I, they're not equals as yeah. players, but you have that guy who you can kind of trust mm. to, to score goals. So for instance, like obviously the other, if Haas-Vauer managed to go up, they've got Glatzel and I'd feel okay about that because he's probably a Bundesliga standard forward. Yes. So it's interesting, but then I, I also think that if, if Pali go up, they're kind of not clout, but um, you know, financial purchase mm. is greater probably than most Zweider Bundesliga clubs. Like so, probably certainly more than, than Darmstadt or even Heidenheim. And the soft, the, the soft power, budget. the soft power of playing for Saint Pauli. Yeah, the kind Hearts of people, minds. the kind of people, the kind of players whose agents will take a call from Saint Pauli yeah. is vast, and that multiplier effect Absolutely. is extremely exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because can you imagine, like, as a to play top level football in that ground, right. in that community, in that city, amongst a group of players. By the way, like there's a lot of really like, well liked people mm. in that squad, and not just people like Jackson Irvine, but you know all around. Like, there's there's no sense of disharmony. It must be such a fun group to be part of, and, a, and an exciting young coach. It's quite a proposition. Can I say I this think. actually? And then to- as a cautionary tale, sorry to just jump in. As a cautionary tale, Union Belly, like. Yeah, Union. Just in terms of identity, if Sa- if Sam Paoli can like afford to dream just six months in the future, please, please rem- remember to retain that essential character because it does matter. Identity is is exceptionally important in the Bundesliga of all leagues, and you lose that off the field, you will lose it on the field. That's my one fear. I think. Do them. not sign Leonardo Bonucci if you go up. Do not do it. Or the equivalent. Whoever, no, there, there will be not. a Benucci equivalent and I just, yeah, I'm concerned. But anyway, that's, that's all. a fun yeah. future podcast. Yeah, yeah, right, right. right. You know, yeah. Gary Cahill out of retirement. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Well, listen, we should probably uh, wrap on the Bundesliga just because there's so much for me to talk about. So, Premier League, we have to talk about up top. Manchester City won, Chelsea won. Seb, talk to me. How did you find it? Shocking. Shocking. I, I, was, I was amazed by, initially at least, by how easily Chelsea cut through City mm. and how simple the dynamics were by which they did it and how influential Cole Palmer was. Right. Maybe if you were writing a little subplot for this game, maybe you, you, you kind of put that in for, against his former club. But uh, I didn't see that coming because I, Chelsea, I, I still don't know what to make of. I, right. I still don't think that I think there are three or four really good players there. I, I think the rest I can take or leave. Um, right. I don't quite know what they've bought. But this is really encouraging as a kind of collective enterprise. I thought they played well. I thought it all became a little bit negative towards the end. Mm. And I think they kind of invited 
City's eventual equalizer on them, especially in the way that it it happened. So if you if you collapse into your box and someone deflects in a goal, you're kind of you're kind of asking for it. But then I suppose the kind of the the um, bloodless analysis would be well um, on a different day. Erling Haaland scores three or four times, so. Yeah, he I don't know. The, I'm conflicted yeah. about it. I watched it back again this morning in sort of um, elongated highlight form, and I, I still, I still don't know what to take away from it. If that makes sense. I think very bad day at the office for Erling Haaland. I think that's the the main thing. I mean, there's a couple of chances that the header over the bar was one, but even the a strike. Was the there was even a strike though. There was one that was maybe a bit concerning too. There was a strike that he had where it was deflected, and he didn't get a clean strike off because he wasn't sharp enough to rip it past. Like Erling Haaland, when he comes onto that ball, you expect him to strike it for the, key, you know, for the defender not to get a touch, the covering defender. And I thought, this is the legacy of being out of games for extended periods, yeah. but like not having regular touches and being asked to apply garnish. And it got me thinking about like, how sustainable is that the next four or five years? Like how enjoyable is it to play on the edge of the action like that for that length of time? Because I know a lot has been said about Holland and how few touches he has, but this, that doesn't look like fun, actually. Like no. a few games at a time, yes, but like three, four years on the bounce, that doesn't look like fun. Like, they'll have to change I his think, role to make that more, I think, enticing. Do you think, like you, you played as forward, like you, <clears throat> do you think it's harder when you come back in a side, like after, like not serious injury, but sort of, semi-serious injury mm. if you're if you're kind of um if you're involved in that sort of hybrid nine ten way mm. you get many more chances to kind of play your way back into sort of rhythm i suppose mm. whereas in this instance <clears throat> you can't you don't even have the get out of worked quite hard pressed well mm. you know set up a few you know um nice moves or was you know did some good pivoting work it's literally just contact end result did chance. you score yes no chance that's it. Chance. It's like, you know, there's one, you know, there's brutal like, existence. You know, there's like, um, there's like really, really fancy restaurants where you have like nine courses and like each, <laughs> each one, and each one of them is like a morsel. And it's like every 15 minutes, you're like, okay, there, there. And then but you're stuffed. You're like, how, what the, how am I, how am I stuffed yeah. off like nine mouthfuls? And it's kind of like that. And look, it's, it's fine. It, it's, it's just a bad day at the office for Holland and he's going to score. Like someone's going to get absolutely hosed. Some poor team is going to catch the full Holland effect a few games from now, and this won't be a thing. But it just was interesting to watch a player of that quality on the edge and just sort of snatching at stuff. Um, and also there's this weird thing that Pep does where Pep buys like brilliant forwards then turns them into midfielders, which he's doing to Julian Alvarez, who I, I love, by the way. I think Julian Alvarez is like... just a wonderful player. Exceptional football. But the stat they published about him was incredible. I mean, this man, they got this man working hard. This man is creating the most chances for City. The man's got the second most, what, goals and assists. Uh, the man is taking, what, set pieces, corners, free kicks, <laughs> penalties. <laughs> but all that to say... All that- I did his contribution in the World Cup, though, as well. Like, that's kind of... Because I think a lot of people woke up to just how good a player he was in amazing. Qatar. It's amazing. So on the biggest stage there is, with kind of all the, all the associated pressure which comes with making sure you deliver for Messi and that you don't get in the way of his kind of his mm. moment, that is... That's some serious stuff to deliver under those circumstances. Can I say this as well about City? And this is, a, this is an extreme thing to say because City are as good as they are and they're, they're proceeding serenely in all these competitions. But there are a couple of players in the City team that do paper over cracks a little. Um, 
Rodri's one of them. I think Alvarez is another. Yeah. I think just because, and this is not to dig City out, it's just that they brought in new players who are finding their rhythm. You've got players like Grealish who aren't at the level that maybe Pep wants them to be at. The Calvin Phillips experiment didn't work. Um, fine player, just didn't work out for them. And I really like him. They brought it out for long periods. And you just see that lack of fluency, fluidity in City exposed in certain points. And I want to mention the Kyle Walker um, element to this. Watching Raheem Sterling cut in and score was exactly the same as watching Alexander Izak cut in and score. And there is that thing where players are getting very, very brave in the last couple of years at cutting inside Kyle Walker. Like they're really going at it. And, and I think, you know, maybe Alan Max man began the disrespectful channel. The channel that no one did. You know what I mean? <laughs> our chaos king. Listen, we start our virtual, our wholesome chaos. There he is. Our wholesome king After of chaos. These years, back again. <laughs> but I, I just think that there's, there are certain areas where we looked at Bayern, there's areas, avenues of disrespect for Man City. There's an avenue of disrespect alongside Rodri where people can go at a Kanji. Rodri's not the safe option, but you can go at someone like Kanji and Stones' absence. You can go at Walker to an extent. There are just, there are joyful gaps mm. in City's team where if, if you can get someone tight to you, like Cole Palmer, I think Cole Palmer, what he was incredible at, which won't show up in the stats, is the ability of Cole Palmer to play the unpredictable pass forward in this game was out of this world. There were two or three moments in this game where Palmer receives possession, and I think, okay, there's like two or three passes on and he will take the four. He will spring the trap. And I think City are vulnerable, I think, to those transitions uh, at key moments. It's interesting that, uh, because the, the, Palmer, the Palmer instances, mm. incidents are, are, are really worth highlighting because if you think about the, the, one, the one that really struck me was the the slide rule through for Nicholas Jackson right that ended with the kind of the, the cross that Raheem Sterling didn't score from right and you think okay so <clears throat> you've got Jackson who I I still don't know what he is really mm. like as a kind of a, as a profile of a player like I is he's forward but I'm not quite sure what it is that he he does within the context of this team mm. and then Sterling who is kind of I suppose from a Chelsea perspective, you're, you're the guy that came before everything changed. Mm. And so you, you don't necessarily have the same sort of levels of chemistry that, um, you know, other, well, not chemistry, but you, you don't, you're not in the same category as all the other players. Like Raheem right. Sterling's career is, is behind him. He's achieved all these things. He's had a wonderful career, a wonderful player. So that little triangle does not have much of an understanding and yet it works perfectly besides yes. the finish. Yes. Um, and... I also, because City's defeats are so rare, mm. they tend to stick in the mind mm. and you tend to remember the ways in which they've been kind of unpicked. And it's amazing how often just direct pace has been a problem for them. Mm. Like the amount of times, just for instance, even if you looked at their, their performances against Spurs, against right. Pochettino Spurs, um, against Conte Spurs, uh, Mourinho Spurs, uh, Nuno's Spurs. Right. And had trouble this season against and Spurs, and and it's, you know, the thing that survives despite the kind of the, the the change in approach and 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 team kind of composition is pace. You mentioned Isaac and that finish. You mentioned some Maxman. Um, we saw like Jackson Sterling. Um, if you can marry a playmaker, mm. someone with a really nice eye for the pass through that back line with pace against City, 
it just never seemed to be able to cope with it properly. Do you know, I wonder if it's actually... Which is weird. It's funny. I wonder if it's it, the speed of their players. I'm not sure that it is because those players are pretty quick, the back line. Like, I think it's... They are, yeah. I think it's psychological. I think because they're so used to being ball dominant, when a team breaks on like that, they're so used to getting that sort of the passing routine and rhythm. You know, it's like watching, uh, was, it, um, was it Tom Sawyer, Whitewash Offense? This is so sort of therapeutic. You're just watching them like stroke left, right, left, right. And so when it breaks down, they're not ready for that level of, of breakup. And I say this because if you look at how adventurous City are in attack, if you look at like, you've got Kyle Walker hitting 30 yarders, you've got Rodri shooting from distance. City, if you look at the distribution of shots among their players, they have deep lying players who are ready to unload, who are in an attacking mindset. So I think the counter, the reason they're vulnerable to pace is not just physical, it's also psychological. It's like, yeah. what, this is almost like uh, disrespectful. So what Cole Palmer did brilliantly, and I think that his substitution, unless he was injured, was a major mistake, was a major mistake. You suddenly took off a player who was pulling wide, who was elusive, who had that really sort of nice, he's like a hybrid of Bill Foden, Thomas Muller, and uh, David Silva in that way that he stands like on the half turn. He looks up, he stands near the touchline to make the pitch as big as possible. And then plays, he's like gorgeous, not even chipped passes, but just rips the ball into feet, rips the ball into feet and opens the game up. And the moment he comes off, the pressure they put on De Sassi and Colwell and Gusto, who had a decent game, but you, you basically made the weakest flank. You made Chelsea's strongest flank into their weakest flank. You left Jackson up high and wide. And I think Jackson at this point, to be honest, I mean, what, he scored like one in three for Villarreal, which is not a bad return. I think, if anything, I think he's overexposed as a player. This is not a judgment on him. I, I, think, I think he's a bit like Marron Fellaini at Manchester United. He's a good squad player and a good option, but he's been overpromoted and that's not his fault. You know, for me, if you look at like, um, if, if, uh, if they had, you know, they got obviously Jackson, but if they'd got, let's say, Chukwueze a year earlier, then they'd be in business because that is a winger that can run a flank by himself. And I just thought that they took him off they took away the unpredictability and they invited a horrifying amount of pressure. And I think Poch blinked. I think he was 20 minutes away, I think, from a signature victory and he blinked. This is a City team that have basically, I think they've scored at home in like, I think some 50 games, 50 games straight or something. It's an outrageous stat. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I think at that point, the game management to take Palmer off I hope he looks back in that and goes, ah, I wish I'd been a bit bolder because that was... Well, it kind of, it's, it, when you make that sub, I think it, it, <clears throat> it says, right, we're, we're ready to be docile mm. now. And, and City want you to be docile because it suits their football. Their football is like Guardiola built them to deal with defend, uh, defences that were packed, narrow and deep mm. because that's invariably what they face in the kind of like week to week in the Premier League. And so when you take Palmer off and I think whatever your take on the situation at Chelsea and kind of the rights and wrongs and who's worth what, I think the one universal point of agreement is Cole Palmer's a really, really, really good attacking player. Yeah. And as soon as he goes off, kind of what do you have? Absolutely. Like, where's, where's the threat from that point? Like, and, and no, I agree with you. I think it's a kind of, and the, the Pochettino substitution thing is, um, if you go back to his time at Spurs, I mean, there are still people who grumble about those subs now. Like, mm. it's either substitutions that are being made too late or substitutions which 
invite the wrong things or change the energy in the game in the wrong way. Like this is a continuing theme with his, his coaching. So yeah, it's another one. And it's, it's, I think city score anyway. I don't think Cole Palmer is your route towards the end of the game necessarily, right. but like in terms of messaging, you're, you're absolutely right. So a real shame that, uh, for Chelsea, they can close that out, but a result that makes the Premier League, I think, compelling. And I think, again, it shows that we're going to see drop points. There's a lot of talk about the inevitable City run, but I didn't, I didn't fully buy that at the time when people started, started pushing it, particularly with Liverpool and Arsenal getting great results and looking really, really good. So Brentford getting dispatched 4-1 by Liverpool, um, who won away with four different scorers. Arsenal, second big away win in a row, beating Burnley 5-0. What did you make of those performances? So. I think the Arsenal one was, <clears throat> um, through gritted teeth, as good a uh, away performance as I've seen this season, mm. uh, the, the, since the turn of the year. Just because the ball movement horizontally is just outrageous. Not right. vertically. Like the speed with which Arsenal go from side to side mm. without allowing a defence to settle, whether it's using like Martinelli as a sort of, as your kind of thrust, um, the way in which those interior players absorb and attract defend, uh, defenders and the way in which like, it's so fluid. It, it looks honestly like they've got 13 or 14 players. This is, a, this is what Havertz was brought in to add. This was the thing. Yeah. This was the, um, not to bore you with these details, but uh, why not? As we started. A few months ago, bore away. A few months ago, began cooking with ginger, and you add ginger to any sauce, and the way that it retains flavour is like nothing else. And that is what Havertz was meant to bring to an already very, very good Arsenal squad. He was meant to add, he was meant to add the ginger, the retention, and the circulation. And when everything else is firing beautifully for Arsenal, and you add Havertz in, confident, and it's great to see him scoring as well, just for his own confidence, also for the team. Yeah. When this is Arsenal's best self. This is what it's meant to look like. That front six, you talk about the way they move the ball. Look at how technical they are. Martinelli, Saka, Trossard, Odegaard, Rice, Havertz. That is absolutely formidable. When that is working, they will cook any team. And it, I'm delighted for Havertz uh, that he got this goal, but also just the performance overall. Arsenal just moving with so much confidence. And there's been a lot of talk, you know, from myself included, about the concern about the finishing, my goodness, like they carry on like this with this level of confidence. I just want Arsenal to take this last couple of games and look at the, you know, get the DVD of extended highlights and be like, that's who we are. That's what Mikel Arteta is trying to do with us. This is how it's meant to look and just stay on target to the end of the season and see where they end up. Yeah. I feel like this is one of the differences. You, you guys, I think it was Monday Stadio <clears throat> last week. We're talking about how in previous arsenals you lose jesus mm. and the kind of the sky falls in right because it, right. it becomes a psychological issue mm. you go back into the kind of the what what um jj bull referred to as the kind of the sad donut or horseshoe <laughs> of their football but it's now like you have all this penetration and yes it's, it's burnley but mm. you know um not the strongest side but you you, you win there five nil and you, it's such a perfect performance mm. and it comes also we, we talked earlier about kind of how Leverkusen backed up after beating Bayern Munich okay well these results against West Ham and Burnley have come after beating Liverpool right um, so you have the psychological high 
and you have you are able to maintain your energy in you know dark February months, not the greatest conditions, long journeys. London to Burnley is no fun. Uh, someone who's done it a few times, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> probably, probably not quite in the same way as the Arsenal players did. But my point being is that um, they seem conditioned in a way that they weren't last season. I always felt that you know last year. Um, when they came to having to, when they came to having to face a Manchester City or you know in certain other games, it would get into the head that they didn't have the efficiency to take chances when they weren't playing well. Well, now they're just playing really well. Whoever's on the pit that includes like Trossard. Oh, Emil Smith Rowe doesn't even really get mentioned anymore, which is kind of crazy. To right, right. A, a really, really good player. But, but I think uh, I always mention strength everywhere. I always mention the the Ben Talab thing. Um, there was a time when Spurs were in transition and Ben Talab was maybe their best player. And then the quality yep. of the squad just improved. Not Ben Talab's own fault. And then he was kind of just in the mix again. He was a squad player as opposed to the outstanding one. I think Smith Rose had a similar configuration where he was an outstanding creative talent. He still is. But just the quality around him is at such a point now that he is he's just another very good player. That role is kind of phenomenon in my mind because it's, you need this player. Right. You need you need a player who, when you start to kind of pick up from darker times, you need a guy that sort of you gravitate towards and, and fans start to get interested in and, and think, oh, this, is, this, this guy could, I could imagine in three or four years, this guy being really special. And I think Smith Rowe was that player. I think Saka was. Saka just ended up being a much better player. And like he became a world-class one rather than just a, a very good uh, Premier League player. Mm. Um, and it's like, if you look around different clubs, I suppose Cole Palmer is that now right. for, for Chelsea. A few years ago during the kind of, uh, it didn't really come to pass, but Adnan Janazai at Manchester United, right. who everyone pretended was going to be a world-class player because at the time, it's what you want yeah. to happen. Yeah. And every club has this guy. Of course. Everyone, everywhere you go, that there is, there is, there, I, we need to, that needs to become a thing. Listen, you know, there, will be, there will be a full-on Saka fest again at some point yeah. on the podcast this season, but. I love that you've identified that phenomenon of player because there are very, very few players to their credit that can evolve with a team. Guti was one, maybe I would say, when they were rebuilding yeah. what Real Madrid was about. Um, maybe Isco at Malaga, like, you know, certain players who it's very difficult to grow with a team as the team's expectations. Go. This is why, like, you know, Luton are incredible. It's why Sean Davis at Fulham was amazing because Sean Davis came up all four, all four divisions and was still really good for Fulham. Like, so it's very, very rare that happens. And yeah, so shout out to the players that don't make it. There's no shame in not, in not evolving, which is what makes Saka's growth so remarkable. But I'm, I'm going to like draw you under the bus slightly here because another big result this weekend was um, Wolves, actually. Um, mm. Wolves Spurs. So we can quickly talk about that because there are, look, and this is not a judgment. There, there are teams in the Premier League that have, trouble with other teams that match up difficult in a difficult way so for some reason Villa struggle with United um what is about Wolves you know who won 2-1 against Spurs what what are the challenges that Wolves present specifically for Spurs would you say I think I think they're summarized in the second Wolves goal mm. I just really good at breaking away from you yeah. oh they're a good footballing side I think Wolves are very fun to watch <clears throat> they're well coached they've got more quality players than people give them credit for the focus recently at Wolves has been on what they've lost and what they've sold like Martinez gone Navesh has gone you know um Lysic didn't really work out mm. but there's a lot of good players there 
Pedro um, Neto, Sarabia, very handy. Yeah. Pedro Neto is a wonderful player. I think Sarabia is an excellent pickup. Matthias Cunha is, um, I always thought, like when he was at Hertha Berlin, um, that he would go on to, to have a really good career. I remember being very excited when he went to Atletico Madrid. Mm. Didn't work out, but he's there. He's an excellent player. Um, I think also the one, I, I, I really enjoy watching Spurs at the moment, but they haven't played well recently. Mm. They, um, whilst their work with the ball is really good, I think things like their rest defence and uh, how they transition away from attacking set pieces, this is still yes. a problem. Like from a coaching perspective, should you ever find yourself in a situation from a corner, an attacking corner where um, you put Emerson Royale in a one-on-one with Pedro Neto? No, come on. Yeah. You, you can't have that. Yeah. Um, and also, I think, uh, not to kind of um, take away anything away from Wolves, but if you take uh, Pedro Porro and Destiny Doggy out of that Tottenham team, you take away so much of their power a drop and off. so much of their ability. Like right. the, like the, the replacements, so you bring in Ben Davis on the left and, and Royale on the right, both in terms of um, their technical ability, their delivery, their speed, it's just, it's such a downgrade that it's very difficult to survive. And Wolves did a great job of defending mm. deep, making sure there was, I don't think they gave up a single chance beyond the goal. Um, and, and also putting players like Neto in a position to counter. They, right. they were the better team. They, they, I think the scoreline actually flattered Spurs. Um, they were very, very poor. Pedro Neto's ball carriage for the second Wolves goal was otherworldly. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the way he was thanked for that at the end, it was like, yeah, like you need to <laughs> give that man two paychecks for that. Yeah. He reminds me, the way he carries the ball reminds me of Sergio Aguero. I know they're obviously not the same player, That's but that, that kind of that gate and how I know he was um, keeping it that uh, close Pedro as Neto well. Was a roller yeah. hockey player, but it's, it's that speed skating yes, low to the yes, ground. Yes. So you, you're mixing this kind of uh, this very dynamic style with players probably harder to knock off the ball right. than, um, than, than you'd think. Uh, I, I really like Wolves. I have a huge admiration for what Gary Neal's done, especially because he was seen as a kind of he was a symptom of crisis from the mm, outside. Like, right. oh, so you've got rid of Lopetegui or Lopetegui who doesn't really want to coach you anymore and you've gone with the guy that was let go by Bournemouth, but right. actually um, dig into the detail a little bit. And from a kind of coaching perspective, that is a pretty remarkable um, transformation. It's probably strong, but job performance. In terms, of, in terms of how he has helped Wolves retain that essential identity, but also made them a little bit more enterprising because that was the thing yeah. with Wolves, wasn't it? Like just grinding out draws, but not really pushing on. I mean, they're still not, not in the threat. best position, but there's, I don't know, there's something about they've got away about them. But while I think there's some good players there too. Like uh, yeah. we've mentioned it, but there's talent. Absolutely. Well, t- talking, of, uh, talking of clubs that have been poaching Wolves players, uh, Liverpool very quickly, just a quick look to them and Brentford and how they're looking. Um, Darwin Nunez with a great goal for them and Mo Salah just effortlessly brilliant sorry just to say very distracted your delightful cat has just entered the shot so <laughs> he's been sleeping all the way through the podcast no. and now he's kind he's, of he's uh, awake now that we've mentioned Liverpool counter-attacking he's awake what did he make very quickly about um, Liverpool's win over Brentford superb mm. absolutely superb full of power great response to what's happened what happened against um, against Arsenal uh, I thought it's interesting you mentioned Dominic Nunez I thought this was his best finish as a Liverpool player 
Wow. Because he, the, the narrative around him is all sort of chaos and doing mm. things quickly. But this is a really sweet goal. Um, kind of a, like a Falcao goal. Speed to the sense. mark, speed off the mark, beat the defender. And the thing about this was really interesting was at no point did the defender have any say in it. He no. wasn't even close to touch. I rewatched it and I thought, wow, you know what? First of all, he won the straight line sprint, got his body between him and the, himself and the defender. And then the angled finish. I mean, this was, this was actually like a training ground. It's one of those moments where if you're on the training ground, Klopp like blows the whistle, stops playing, says, look where he began, look where he ended up. That is like all the academy strikers. Look at that. That's the, uh, that's the textbook right there. Um, so yeah, great goal from Salah. And other quick results, just the round up from around the Premier League, I think that notable. Brighton winning 5-0 away at Sheffield United. Adingra returning from victory with Ivory Coast. What a few weeks he's had. Yeah, he's, my, my, guy, my guy's flying. Um, he looked wonderful against Sheffield United. Uh, Rasmus Hoyland with two against Luton away, uh, beating Luton 2-1. Manchester United there. Villa getting a good win at Fulham. 2-1 win for them. Newcastle, disappointing draw at home against Bournemouth. And Nottingham Forest beating West Ham 2-0. David Moyes with a fairly spiky um, comment on the state of West Ham and how he is doing a really good job there and should be given more credit. I mean, I think, I think two things can be true. I think reports can be dis- I think results can be disappointing, but also Moyes he has turned things around quite impressively from a difficult little start at West Ham. And I think deserves maybe slightly more patience. I mean, look, they're ninth. West Ham are ninth. I also feel like they... They've just won a conference league. This is, also, it. this is it. The mood around David Moyes was changed in the summer when everyone assumed as soon as Tim Shaden comes in, that's the end of it. Mm. And so he's kind of gone through the season with the kind of the threat of the sack, whether it exists or not in the media, because everyone assumes that kind of there's just everybody's waiting for the opportunity to, 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 to head off in a different direction. But if you look at where West Ham were, I, I know they've been poor on several occasions in 2024 and before that they haven't had a good season necessarily but um i i just think there should be a little bit more rope than that yeah right absolutely no i think that's fair idealist, I, but, I think that's fair you know. that's fair so yeah that's that's the premier league um is there anything else you'd like to drop in on the premier league on or off the field we may not have may not have, uh, may not have caught not on the premier league but i, I think um we both contributed to the same uh, Stefan Ersfeld article over the weekend, mm. um, which um, I, I put up on my Twitter. And he's talking about kind of the reaction of British fans to the protests in the Bundesliga, mm. the protests against the FL investment. It's really interesting to kind of, I, I, I had a conversation with, with Dumbo um, uh, by WhatsApp, and we were talking about sort of the difference between um, how if there was a DFL investment deal in the UK or the equivalent, you wouldn't bat an eyelid because right. everything, everything is much more macro, right? That you just wouldn't have this collective energy to kind of, well, everything's already been sold to me, sir. So you yeah. don't have anything left for yeah. private investment. Yeah, yeah. And I, I just find it an interesting point because obviously I've been in Germany for three years now, so not that long. I don't feel like it's my league. I'm still culturally an outsider. And I've come from a place where the problems are state ownership and um, sports washing. And, and it's quite interesting to watch how people get exercised about RB Leipzig. I understand it, but for an English person who's used to bigger things, like dealing with that as a major issue is, must be very alien. And similarly with the, 
the DFL investment deal. If, if you've if you've grown up with proper agency as a fan, of course you're going to be outraged by it and fearful of what it may lead to. But it's then it's just one of those things. It feels symptomatic of the kind of the cultural differences between English football and German. Football. I think I think German football they look at English football and think we know there's no way back back from a certain type of yeah, investor involvement. Too far gone. You know, you look at the UK. We are we are accustomed. We're long since accustomed to selling off vast parts of our infrastructure and them then becoming worse. And I think there are enough people in Germany that just don't want that for themselves. And I think that's right, yeah. actually. I think that's right. Like, yeah, I agree. People look at Bayern and everyone goes, well, look, sell off this and make everything fairer. But a lot of people go and think, well, you know what? If Bayern want to win 11 or 12 straight, then that's on them. But we're not going to allow our league to be unenjoyable or diminished because they're just winning all the time. You look at the Zweites Bundesliga, you look how good that league is. Look how much fun Ryan had the weekend. 50,000 people in the second division. Magdeburg, just incredible crowd, incredible fans, away fans, um, singing their guts out the entire game. Percussion from Hertha almost throughout the, you know, the game. Second division football, 50-odd thousand fans. And that, that's the soul of German football, and it's an actual thing, and they're worried about losing it, and they should be worried about losing it. And I, I hope they keep up this protest. And it's very easy to look from outside and kind of sneer and go, look, they're parochial. They're just, well, no, actually, that's, that's kind of the beauty of it, right? Well, it also allows football to exist beyond the results. Yeah. So it means that you can have Bayern Munich winning 11 titles in a row and people still turn up to watch the football. And totally. German football still has the highest attendance in Europe. Like these, these things matter. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, um, I'm still very much at the state where like, I, I just pay attention and watch. I don't have a definitive yeah. take on it because yeah. it's not really my place to. But I think I've been, um, I've been slightly more radicalized. That will come for you with time. Uh, you've been here longer <laughs> than I have. So like it's, yeah. yeah, but that's what happens over time. But like, I don't think three years is long enough. Can I say this as well? Like Can I say you... as well, just to jump in as well, just to give you credit and to give you praise just on this note, sorry to embarrass you. It's that I love the way that you've come in in relation to German football and like someone like yourself who's so knowledgeable, who watches like so much of it you've really like got to know okay. the culture and but i just want to say i want to give you your flowers because i really like the way you cover um the sport here it's added so much um thank you very much for someone like me that's been here longer you show me things about the game that i i don't see that i'm still learning so thank you for that so um well that's, that's very kind of, i just think there's a virtue in in not pretending to know more than you do yeah absolutely and you, you need a lifetime to learn a football league properly and i you know long way to go Talking of, well, talking, well, glad you enjoyed. Uh, talking of a football league that we've not covered for a lifetime, Serie A, we'll be talking about that next week. Milan and uh, Ryan will be back for that. And we'll be discussing Milan Atalanta taking place on Sunday. And we'll be talking about Atalanta in particular, who had a very good win over Sassuolo 3 0. That's always a game that delivers. Atalanta have just edged up into the Champions League spot. So we'll be talking about them. So Serie A on the menu. Listen. Italian food on the menu is always a, it's always a good look. I knew, I knew that would happen somewhere. <laughs> knew it. So that's all the football for now. Um, Seb, it's been a delight having you with us. Thank you so much for joining. A worthy substitute as ever. And we're going to play out this episode on Steve Parks and Steve Marshall, track called One Out to Ryan. Still thinking of you. <laughs> He's going to hate that. He's going to hate that. <laughs> Seb, anything before we close? I've had fun. This is a nice way to start my week. Ah, oh, you're an absolute gem. Well, lovely to see you. I'm sure I'll be seeing you off camera and off mic soon enough. In the meantime, thank you so much to everyone who tuned in, as ever. We'll be catching you again on Thursday, and hopefully Ryan will be fighting fit. 
Sirene. It never occurred to me the beautiful words would be the way that I'd express myself. What I'm trying to say in such a fancy way is, girl, can I help myself to your love? I'm not afraid to 